All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to tonight's Global Math Department. My name is Sheila Orr, and I'm going to be your host. Tonight, we're going to hear from Teresa Wills about teaching, about using breakout rooms um, and how that can help with our student collaboration and to create structures. Um, while I kind of run through, if you haven't already, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself in the chat, tell us who you are, where you teach, um, and just kind of start getting to know each other. So the chat, um, before I introduce Teresa, or I guess let Teresa introduce herself, talk a little bit about more about herself, um, I'm gonna explain how these meetings work. So first, they are being recorded, um, and it usually takes about 24 hours for the recording to become available. Um, but if you use the same exact like, like link you used tonight to get here, that'll become the recording. So you can also then, if you wanna share this with colleagues who weren't able to make it tonight, um, you can just send along the link that you used. We also do post them, some of them to YouTube. Um, so that's another place you can look for them. Um, the Global Math Department prides itself on being a friendly and supportive community. The chat room, the chat is available for topical and general conversations throughout the meeting. So if you hear stuff and you kind of like want to be like, oh, that's cool. Like I thought of that. Um, I've tried this. Feel free. Also feel free to ask questions in the chat. Um, I'm gonna catch them as you go so you don't have to worry about the presenter um, missing them with other people's comments. We are gonna hold the questions till the end um, just because the way this kind of talk is gonna be structured is the ideas build on each other. So your question might get answered in what's coming. Um, so I'll be holding on to them for us. But so still, as you think of it, ask it, but it probably won't get answered till the end. Um, so our speaker tonight is Teresa Wills, and I'm gonna go ahead and turn it over to you and let you introduce yourself. Hi everyone, my name is Teresa Wills. Um, I am an, assist an assistant professor out of George Mason University in the Mathematics Education Leadership Department. And 10 years ago, I started teaching this way. I was interested in synchronous online learning um, and how we could use some of the same techniques that we're using in a mathematics classroom in the synchronous setting. So uh, I'm here today to share with you some of the tips that I've learned over the last 10 years um, and give you some uh, inspiration about why I prefer teaching online than face-to-face. -face. And it's because my breakout rooms are more collaborative, interactive, there's more accountability, and I get more student voice. So I'm here today to share some of those tips with you all. These uh, practices practices have been applied across multiple grade levels, and you will see specific um, examples that meet uh, a variety of grades from elementary, middle, and high school. Um, and I've been in the K-12 classrooms regularly, uh, even since March, um, but before that, I, I am always in classrooms at least once a week. So hopefully this will um, make sense and work for you in your situations. You'll notice here on the main page, I do have contact information, my email address, Twitter handle, uh, website, and YouTube channel. And I try to stay pretty active in all of them. In addition, above the chat box, you'll notice that there is a pinned link. This will get you your own personal copy of today's slides, which you're welcome to uh, use and uh, you know, continue to spread this message. And the other thing on this slide is starting today, my book hit the shelves. Uh, and so if you're curious about more tips on teaching math at a distance, you're welcome to uh, check this out. Uh, I try to cover the 
the whole uh, everything in between. Uh, but today we're going to start with breakout rooms. So let's jump right in. The way I've structured this, I have gotten so many questions about breakout rooms in the last couple of months, and I kind of keep these questions lying around and answer them. And um, I've got to the point now where I have a set of about 12 questions that everyone always asks about breakout rooms. So I've structured tonight all in that order. Uh, and uh, so hope you enjoy it. And we'll start here with our first question. How do I teach my students how to participate in my remote classroom. Any y'all wondering how to get more participation? Most people, uh, most teachers actually want to use breakout rooms because they mirror the collaboration that's happening in the face-to-face -face classrooms. And so today, let's talk about how to get kids talking, self-starting, working collaboratively and respectfully in breakout rooms. Let's see, a couple of people said they could not hear. I think that we are good. If not, let me know. Okay, perfect. All right, the next part is chat box for all of you. Uh, I have a stock image here and go ahead with just this information that you have. Do you notice or wonder something about me, your instructor for the next hour? Go ahead and pop that there in the chat box. Uh, why I asked you this question we started. This is something that we typically see in an online classroom, and it's the way I used to start too. I would have my professional photo up, um, and students would see that. And I used to also have um, a list of rules and expectations, but these are the things that I've changed. These are my teacher expectations, and I read them out to my students at the beginning of every session. I care about you. I will keep you safe. I want you to be comfortable and confident online. I value your unique personality. I want to meet your basic needs. At any moment, if you felt your shoulders relax and you felt yourself included, in the chat box, type what number did that happen at? What number did you start to feel relaxed? Because what I found out that before we can even go into breakout rooms, I need to set the stage for communication, collaboration, and community. And that's what these things do for me, is it sets that stage for the community, and then my students realize, oh, I am welcome here. And they're more likely to have conversation. The other thing that I do is I replace my stock image of my profile picture, and I change it every week. These are the last 15 that I've used in my sessions that I do. Now, what do you notice and what do you wonder about your instructor for the next hour? And students catch on to this so quickly. They get excited to update their profile pictures. 
And what you've done here now is you have broken down those barriers, those uncomfortable moments, and you start to build conversation just about you. And this didn't take any time out of your uh, classroom. This is just your profile picture. So we haven't used any of our time and students already have ideas about you and they're more likely to talk to you as a person. When they start to change theirs, they're more likely to talk to each other. Now, why is that important? How many of you all have started breakout rooms and you go in and you listen and they're silent? Like student, students know, don't know necessarily how to talk to one another, how to say hi, or like, how's your family? Or how's your brother doing? Or, you know, they need to learn that much like any other skill that they're learning in mathematics. And they need to learn that from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade. So let's supply them with some images that are going to help them learn to have conversation with people. All right, I got a little quote here from the book that just hit the shelves today. Um, Online classes can include a rich community of learners, but only through purposeful planning and implementation of community building strategies. And this is a strategy that doesn't take any extra time. Just look on your camera filter and it'll get you taking more pictures of yourself too. Alrighty, uh, so we are here for breakout rooms. We've uh, kind of discussed a little bit about community and how that is the initial starting phase um, of creating spaces for breakout rooms. But why bother? Why do we do breakout rooms? One thing that I did in early March is I looked at 200 school divisions, um, ones that were very large in the United States, and I looked to see if they had school division goals. And of course, you know, people are on the, the, the goal bandwagon right now, so they have their school division goals. And many of these hit um, in those of those 200. School divisions want communicators, collaborators, critical and creative thinkers ethical and global citizens, safe and knowledgeable digital citizens, and a strong sense of community. So how do we get there? Let's look at the one that is the elephant in the room, the safe and knowledgeable digital citizens. Often um, when I am working with schools and they are talking about breakout rooms, um, I ask them, well, have you tried them out? And sometimes I get some of these responses. I'm worried I can't be in every breakout room at the same time. What if my students need help? What if someone says or does something inappropriate? My students don't know how to start on their own. There are legitimate safety concerns. I can't hold them accountable when they're working without me. And my students are too young. These are all legitimate concerns and questions. And they're very important when thinking about our goal of making safe and knowledgeable digital citizens. But let's kind of make an analogy to something else, something else that might have legitimate safety concerns. How many of you all work in a school where they teach driver's ed behind the wheel? Um, these concerns that I listed before have only been uh, changed slightly with the bold words. So I'll kind of move back and forth between them. We do worry that we won't be in the same car with them all the time. What if they need help? 
What if they do something inappropriate? What if they don't know how to start on their own? And more. But we do it anyways. And we do it for a very purposeful reason. And it's that we can provide a structured and a safe environment for students to make mistakes and learn. And that's what we're doing with breakout rooms here. We're giving them the space to be able to try things, to make mistakes, and that structure is right there. Your teacher is not far away and they're able to support you. And by the end of all this learning online, we're going to have students who know how to be safe, who know how to look for tricky situations when people are asking for something that they shouldn't be asking for online. And they're going to be safe and knowledgeable digital citizens. All right, let's get you all working. I've been talking long enough. Grab a sheet of paper, grab a pen. You're gonna create a big list if you can. As many people as possible that you would be comfortable calling or texting to ask, what are your favorite pizza toppings? Go ahead, see if you can get 10 down real quick. about their favorite pizza topping. You might have a list. I've got my list, I've got 10 people. I always do what I want my students to do to make sure I give them enough wait time. Alrighty, part two of this is now you're going to star of that list, star the people that you're comfortable asking, when do you use measurement in your world and what type of measurement do you use? Put a star next to their names. The last part of this activity is from that list circle the names of the people that you're comfortable asking this question. What coupon is better? 25% off or $5 off when you spend $20? Take a look at your list. What do you notice about that list? Take a moment, write a little noticing there in the chat box. What did you notice about that list?
it did get shorter and there was more risk with each question. And that is exactly um, what this was aimed to develop. Because when I think about breakout rooms, I'm very purposeful about them. I don't just throw some kids in a room and give them a few minutes and give them a task to do. No, they are very purposeful and there's phases that I use. And those phases that you all just explored right there, those were all about the types of questions you ask in those breakout rooms. So in this example, I often start off with kids, just two to a group, like a pair share. They only get two minutes. That is not enough time to get anything done, but it is enough time to start giggling and trying to answer a question. And that is exactly what I'm looking for. And we have low stakes questions here, like what kind of topping is your favorite? And I do this many times. I'm looking for that students are comfortable with the microphone, that they can demonstrate kindness, use safety protocols, and creates and implements class norms. Now, those are things that are important to me. You'll be able to modify this slide with things that are important to you. These are things I look for before I have anyone in the class move to that middle zone. And let's talk about what that looks like. I got some more questions here for y'all. So I'm in phase one. I am ready to uh, implement a breakout room. And I get this question. How can I get students to self-start? You ever get that? You want them to start? You even set the directions, but it didn't happen. My tip here is to use predictable activity starters. This is where I do my lesson planning now. I no longer have those uh, other lesson plans. Nope, it's a slide in the presentation and it's transparent to students and me. Every time before we go in a breakout room, I've clearly remembered how big I want the groups for how long and I was purposeful in my directions. I've listed names for the different groups, so I don't have to think about it on the spot. Now, here's the best part. Um, I frequently get kids who are kicked out uh, of the internet or log back in or just need to listen to the directions again. Uh, so one of the tips I have for you is you can actually link these to Google Translate. I'm gonna do just that here. It's already saved. I can press play. It'll read it to me in English. I can assign a home language and it will read those directions in another home language. Now, when my students are in their breakout rooms, when they need to hear the directions again, they can hear them no matter their age or uh, their literacy background. They've got those there and it's predictable. I often hear, how can I get students to use the microphone more? Like, hey, they would have talked in my class, but now they're online. How do I get that? These are my tips. Frequent pair shares. Five times in a lesson. All right, we're going to talk about how we saw similarities and differences, but here is your pair share first. 
and we keep the, uh, the questions low stakes, things like would you rather, until you've uh, made sure that students are comfortable using the microphone. I also provide sentence stems because sometimes they don't necessarily know what to say over the microphone, even our biggest kids. And so having these sentence stems are really useful because they can say, you know, even if they're too cool for school, they can say, I would rather eat ice cream every day. You know, they, they're still completing the assignment, even if um, they're reading straight from it. And some of them just need the extra sentence stem. How do I teach my students to remain calm with technology? This is one that is near and dear to my heart. I've got two young kiddos, a second and a third grader, who are um, in virtual school for the rest of the year. And uh, so, yeah, they need to learn to be calm with the technology no matter what. As a teacher, I start out with very purposeful lessons. So I make purposeful mistakes all the time. I have to make sure I'm making a mistake and making it public at the start of every single class. It makes it so much less intimidating when you know your teacher's making mistakes. And then they can model calmness and productive behaviors. So here, this is why this is useful for math teachers. Have you ever wanted students to have a productive struggle? To think about the mathematics, maybe find another representation or another way? but they get fed up and they say, I'm done. Well, we can model the same thing with technology. We can model, oh gosh, this isn't working. I can stay persistent. I can try three. I can try other things. And we can show that and model it. And then I even do a lesson with kiddos where they make mistakes on purpose. So I have a whole slideshow. They go in, they make a mistake, and they press the undo button. They make a mistake, they try control Z. I use sentence stems so that peers know how to say, hey, it's okay, just control Z it. My youngest students even make a control Z superhero and they use their language arts time to write about why this is a superhero. And I even teach students to use friendly tone, such as when you want to talk with respect, the last syllable goes up. And they can learn to practice that together. They really enjoy it. Same thing with eyebrows. If you want to just do something simple to show a little bit more calmness or respect, you raise your eyebrows. So those are little tips that I've done with kiddos and they laugh and they giggle regardless of age because it's funny to work with emotion and tone. A major concern with breakout rooms often comes in um, worried about cyberbullying. And that's a very real thing to be worried about. Um, teens and young adults are cyberbullied uh, so often. So let's figure out how to change that and give our students the opportunity to be cyber heroes. This is one that I use with our youngest kiddos. And we practice this, and the kids practice it at home too. Um, and it is ways to know how to advocate for yourself, but not have to always advocate for yourself, that you know when you can get the teacher's help. 
I'll give you a minute here uh, to read this, but this is one that I've used with our younger kiddos and we actually role play it out. We make sure that um, they, they let the person know that I don't like this, or if they're hearing it, there's directions on how they can be a cyber hero. And we play, we act it out. Give yourself a minute and look at this flow chart and ask yourself, what's something that I might change on it to work with my class, my personality, and my students? As you're thinking about ways that this could be modified to work with your students, um, just ask yourself, what are the purposeful things that you want your students to know? And when are you going to give them the time to role play, practice it, try it out? Another one I frequently hear that is a serious concern and it's best, um, you know, tackled head on as opposed to ignoring and hope it doesn't happen. It's inappropriate behaviors. And let's get real about what is paddling and what is unsafe behaviors. And let's make sure we teach students the difference between it. This is the slide that I frequently use with students. And some of these things are non-negotiables. Others, I have students kind of fill it out. So what this would look like with a first grade class would look very different from a sixth grade class and that would look different from a 12th grade class. However, my non-negotiables are my get safes. If they're getting threats, images or videos of scary sexual or inhumane things, or if someone's asking for personal information, I want my students of any age to have a red flag and say that's not safe internet behavior and log out and get in touch with the teacher. That's what I want them to do when they graduate, when they're done with driver's ed, I mean, when they're done with uh, online learning and they graduate, I want them to know how to get safe. So those are my non-negotiables. I have two other areas that we practice with students um, about advocating for yourself or a peer. Sometimes things that come up is if they use a mean word the first time, but then they correct themselves or things that have nothing to do with safety, like a peer's watching TV. That might be something to bring up, but it might not be immediate. We talk about teacher health, when to use teacher health. And this is my safety protocol here. Um, I'd like students to know the difference between all three of them and what to do in these situations. I'm also moving in and out of breakout rooms. They're never truly on their own. Um, but I think it's important if we are teaching kids online that we teach them to be safe. Feel free to put any thoughts, any things that you think are missing from this in the chat box there. Um, I know that people are working in developing spaces where students can um, have more agency, but make sure that they are protected and safe. Uh, so feel free to put ideas that you have in the chat box. Alrighty, so we answered a lot of questions that people have about that first phase. How do I get students comfortable with the mic? demonstrating kindness, using safety protocol, and implement class norms. When I see that my students have, um, you know, checked those ones off, I'm ready to bring up uh, things like lower level tasks. 
So the measurement problem. When do you use measurement? And um, you know why is that a measurement that you use? We're not quite ready for super rigorous math yet, but we are getting there. Let's look at some of the checkpoints that we need before we can move into super rigorous math. A question I often get is, what if only one student does all the work? So we want to foster collaboration, but we need to make sure that the students also want to collaborate and share their learning. So these are the structures I use. They come straight out of the face-to-face -face class. They get roles. The timekeeper is a pretty standard role. So is the secretary. But let's look at the bottom two and what's unique about those. Having a communicator in the face-to-face -face classroom, that would be the person who raised their hand when everyone else tried something and they say, hey, our group still doesn't get this. Can you explain? So now instead of having 20 students with their hands up, I might only have four or five. That's really nice classroom management for me. Um, when they're in online spaces, this also helps them to you know, try to work together in order to find the answer before that communicator raises their hand. And then we have the mayor. This is really important online um, because they are in charge of writing each person's name down and making sure that each person has contributed. So whatever your norm for mayor is, um, when they are responsible for their learning, um, it helps to make sure more people participate. Now we're gonna get to the meat. We've kind of, we've set up this classroom environment. Kids are feeling safe. They're feeling collaborative. They're feeling ready to work hard. Let's look at some mathematics and how we do hard math in breakout rooms. So we're gonna look at some organic collaboration. These slides uh, I frequently use in variety of math workshops. What you'll notice here is that for each page, I have given an Algebra 1 example. In this case, it's in green. I have given an elementary example. In this case, it's blue. And I've given a um, upper elementary, lower middle school example um, dealing with fractions. Um, and that one's in the white. So your content uh, grade level will be in the same place on all of these slides. Let's look at ways we hold students accountable when they're in their breakout rooms. We want to give them some sort of an accountability slide somewhere where they are showing their thinking. But there's different models we can use. We don't just have to do put your thinking on a slide, share your slide. Here, in this first model, every student works on their own slide to complete an independent part before they can move into the partner or group part. These are all guess my rules. First, the students are putting their um, initial rule in input output table using base 10 blocks to think about an equation and their rule for the fractions. Once they've set up the problem, now their partner is invited, the microphones are on, they're trying to guess. They're saying, uh, is your rule that they all do this? And the partner finishes the slide. 
So what you've done there with that structure is you've given everyone a role that they have to complete before the other friend can come in and finish it. The second type of structure that I really like to use um, in these are small group activities, ones that have multiple correct answers. So whether we're looking at different ways of building the number 27, now I have two spaces for two friends to show their thinking, and they're both correct. They're just different. In an I spy activity, they're looking for one sixth and three friends are able to show that they have it correct. And in Algebra 1, they are looking at a function in five different ways. Each person has a space to show their thinking. Games are a wonderful uh, thing to use in uh, breakout rooms uh, because everybody participates. It's in the nature of the game. So whether it is traditional games that you've used from the classroom, modified games that you've used, I happen to use Google Slides, um, or you're using a third party app, um, you know, the nature of the game is going to encourage participation. This is one of my favorite things about online. Independent to small group, check for understanding. In these examples, um, kids get to select their cards as an area where they pull down the ones that they want. In the Algebra 1, they were pulling down a vase. In the um, primary, they were pulling any three numbers, putting them in order. And with fractions, they were using a variety of things that they had learned from Comparing using common numerators to common denominators, benchmarks, and so on. So the students make their own problems. And they get to see their peers' answers right along with theirs. However, they have different cards. They can't use the same example that their peer used. So they have to use that idea and apply it to a new situation. So when this is in a partner slide, everyone is kind of working independently but they have partners work to talk over. Hey, wait, why did you, how did you know that common denominators work? Would it work for mine? And they can uh, discuss that there. So these are gonna promote more discussion. Another structure I like to use is independent to small group exploration. Um, and the important thing about this is each student has their own independent section. However, they're related to their partner's work. I uh, typically have four columns, as you can see here. So partner one would have the first column, partner two would have the second, partner three would have the third, and partner four would have the fourth. Again, we see the same thing in Algebra 1. We see the same thing in a fractions lesson. 
What's unique about this is that even though each student has their own accountability slide, their own part that they're responsible for, they relate to one another. So if their line is looking way off from the rest of their partners, it's going to increase conversation. Students are going to be interested about why does mine look like that? Um, and so that it gives them a chance to kind of rethink their work um, and open up conversation. All of these um, that I just explained here are actually part of um, a math workshop um, PD that I've done that um, Global Math has just put there in the chat box. Um, but what I found in these is that by varying the type of accountability that my students are doing in those breakout rooms, it um, you know brings new opportunity. So sometimes they're working by themselves, then they bring the partner in. Sometimes they're all working together because there's multiple right answers. Or sometimes they have an independent section, but they're related. So when you give them something to do, think about what kind of conversation that's going to foster. All right, I know that was a lot there. We're probably going to go back there a couple times, uh, rewatch those, and think about the type of conversation that we want our students to have. But now let's get to a math task. I want a nice meaty task, one that we work on in groups for 25 minutes. We come together, we've used the five practices, and I have this beautiful conversation that uses lots of student work. So that's what I want. Here's how I get it. It is now nine o'clock on the East Coast of the United States, and I welcome you. Hmm. Alrighty. Um, so how do I get students to show multiple representations to a math task? This is my favorite. This is a problem solving oath I've been using for a long time. I always invite my students, if you want to pledge this oath today, to type your name in the chat box. I read it to them as they read it to themselves, and I like to see who's ready today to take this oath. So let me read it to you. I, Teresa, promise to try my best. I will make sense of patterns and numbers. I will use manipulatives and drawings. I will make mistakes. I will ask questions. I will listen to other ideas. I will stay engaged by always trying to find another solution or representation. I am a problem solver. I make the world a better place. And I'll say, I invite you now uh, to go ahead and take the problem solving oath. You can type your name in the chat box. What that also does is get my kids ready because I'm about to bring on the problem. So I know they're all at the computer. All right, here's the second part. It's one thing to say the problem solving oath. It's quite another as a teacher to make sure that you make time in your discussion for multiple representations. This is the part where everyone starts to hold themselves accountable. Am I rushing to the abstract representation? Because if I am, my students aren't going to bring these. Or am I really showing all the different representations that they bring? What you show in the discussion is what they're going to bring. Um, and so, you know, bringing that problem solving oath out front 
giving them choice of virtual manipulatives to use, but also allowing them to pick their own um, can be really liberating for kids as they think about how they solve a problem. So here are a couple slides um, from some that I've done with caterpillars and leaves. You can probably start to think about the problem. We've done this at tons of different grade levels. And in the math conversation, I don't just move to the abstract symbols. We talk in depth about why each of these representations feed on one another and how they help us to make sense of the problem. So there you go, folks. Those are my three phases of breakout rooms. There's a lot that you're uh, going to be teaching and doing to set these up, but it is well worth it. Wait until you are giving math tasks regularly that are bringing out the rich math that you've always wanted. You're having more aha moments every day than you can count on your fingers, and that's because you took the time to create these spaces so that students can work collaboratively, they can go through the productive struggle, they can make mistakes and know it's okay because you do it every day. They give each other equitable talk time and they hold themselves accountable. There's a lot of background in this. Um, I know many of you will probably watch it again or continue to think about these, um, but I encourage you to um, continue to talk with your peers about breakout room phases if something works, ask yourself why it worked. And if it doesn't, ask yourself, is there some sort of a protocol or routine that I could go back and practice with my students to make it better? And before long, you're going to be loving online just like I do. And here's the reason why we do it. I'd like to read this to you as, as I finish up here. It's because we're going to teach them to be digital citizens. We're going to teach them how to undo mistakes, teach them how to respect others' work, teach them that they are responsible for their actions online, teach them about cyberbullying and how to be a cyber hero, teach them how to ask for help, teach them how to say I'm sorry online, teach them the most important skill that they're going to use in their lives, teach them to be digital citizens. I know there are many, many questions coming in. I try to answer as many as I could in this presentation, um, and I'm going to be available to answer as many more as you all have for me. Um, I know that uh, our coordinators have been keeping a Q&A list, um, and at this point, I just wanted to, to say it's been a pleasure sharing um, the things that I love about teaching online with you all. Um, and if you're interested in learning more, a lot of this comes directly out of the book that just hit the shelves today. Uh, check it out. And um, I'll go ahead and turn it over to questions. All right, I see that there's a bunch in the Q&A. Um, how 
how do you um, make groups for breakout rooms? Um, I've got several videos available on YouTube about how to do it uh, really quickly. Um, and um, it's, it's probably more efficient to um, see it on there. Uh, but when you're making breakout rooms, it's super important um, to find ways of being efficient, um, to find ways. Uh, I use random a lot, especially early on uh, in, in this two by two by two phase, because I want every student to get to know everyone. So I have it set up, whether I'm using Zoom or Collaborate, Google Meets now. Many of you guys just got Google Meet uh, breakout rooms. Um, and so I find places to make them really quickly. Um, and randomizing is a pretty quick method. Um, in terms of slides on iPads, phones, and other things, um, I uh, you need to download the app in order for them to be effective. Uh, they're not going to be editable unless you download the app. And then once you have the app, they work pretty good. They aren't as smooth as everything else, uh, but the um, benefits that they provide far outweigh uh, the learning curve of doing it. Um, so once my students have the app downloaded um, and they practice the, the click and drag technique, they usually have it down um, and I don't have problems uh, using iPads, but definitely download that app. Um, there's a couple people wondering about how you pair or would recommend pairing Desmos with breakout rooms. Um, it kind of depends on the way that you are using breakout rooms. So I'm going to get into a little bit of my background. I used to be a huge video gamer. Like I played a lot of video games um, and we would use um, uh, headsets. So we would talk to each other but uh, that space was reserved for things that needed to be talked about at the time and we could socialize other time, but when we're going into a battle, we had to make sure we were listening. Um, there was also typing and there was also smaller groups. Um, and when I use breakout rooms in terms of the teleconferencing tool, I use it the same way we used to play video games. Um, it is just so that we can hear each other and that we have a place to chat. So if I have Desmos open or I have Seesaw open or I have um, Math Learning Center, they have great manipulatives open, that's in another tab. And then I use my breakout rooms in the uh, teleconferencing tool uh, as a different tab. And yes, even my kindergartners learn to move between those tabs because it's so important for us to be able to communicate. Um, and then another question, let's see. So with that, is the idea, so like, cause you had the slide with the like three different types, like the two by two by one, the, mm -hmm. yeah, that one. Is the idea like, like how would you recommend the arc of moving between those three groups? Ah, uh, great question. Um, let's see, do we have any kindergarten and first grade teachers with us today? Y'all are my personal heroes. Um, and it's because you all taught me this, this sense of gradual release and when to go back. So um, I you know, use this two by two frequently at the beginning. Um, and then I, once they've mastered these, uh, these concepts, they, I move into the four by four by one. But if at any time a student is walking down the hall and they are skipping, what do we do in kindergarten and first grade? We go back and we practice it. 
and then they got the hang of it. Sweet, wonderful. Let's go back here again. We're walking down the hall. We're doing great. We're doing great. Uh-oh, one kid is licking the wall. Let's <laughs> go back and practice. Um, and it's not to say that uh, the two by two by two is a bad place, but it is a necessary place before you move forward. Um, and so in my classes, I have a variety, a whole mixture of all three of them, but I also know that they build. And so if I'm noticing that my class that day, there is something going on, I don't know what it is yet, but there's something going on, then I might need to go back and repractice this gradual release, make sure that they know that these are my non-negotiables. Oh, um, just do you know, does Microsoft Teams have breakout rooms? There is a following of people who are on Microsoft Teams. Um, that is the one tool that I don't have access to. So okay. I don't know personally, but I do know that there are groups of people out there on Twitter who are diehard Microsoft Teams. That's what they use. Um, so I'd say check out your, your social media and um, see what else is out there. If you have questions, I'd be happy to connect you with other people. Um, um, and I, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, I also wanted to uh, put out here, I have been trying to make a collection of things for teachers when it comes to online learning. Um, I've got quite a collection now here. This is my website, TeresaWills.com. I've got a lot of templates. So if you want to try something out, but you don't want to start from scratch, nor should you, teachers have plenty of to do right now, start with one of these. You can get the editable slides. You can go in. You can mark it up. There's even some collaborative manipulatives and lots and lots of math stuff. There is so much math stuff on here. Um, so you can get started with it from primary all the way up through secondary. And I'm pretty sure about this because I saw you start your slides before the presentation, but you use Google Slides when you talk about using, like having slides and what you're having your students engage on. I do use Google Slides. I use it for a couple of reasons. Um, I was part of an equity committee when I started this uh, whole online thing, which ruled out any kind of software that you had to buy. So everything I use is completely free um, and is available to use on Chromebooks, which at the time were the uh, cheapest device that you could use uh, for this collaboration. So it's a little bit of background on me and why I use it. I kind of don't know how to use PowerPoint anymore. Um, and so, yeah, I use Google Slides because they're free. You can make them safe by giving uh, student email addresses in there instead of just open links. Um, and there's a lot you can do with them. You don't even need to be a Google Classroom school. Um, and then, okay, I was just checking the time real quick. Oh, now I'm like, wait, you have? I have some other uh, gems on here. I know, that I think the question is, you do number talks <laughs> online? Like <laughs> I do a lot online. So I have remote math routines, everything that you're probably used to in the face-to-face -face class, along with a protocol. Like, how do you do that online? Um, and so there are so many. None of these are my own. They're just reinventing the way that people do it online. Um, and so you can check those out. And uh, if you're curious about, um, you know, how you do math tasks online in breakout rooms, if you want to see the breakout rooms live, I have 25 uh, different uh, recordings of those. Um, more to come. I do free PD every Saturday where we do one of these rich tasks. And they're yours. Go copy them. Use them in your class. They're ready.
And I think one last question, and if I missed yours um, and you feel like it hasn't been answered, feel free to drop in the chat and I'll go check there again. Um, so this kind of goes back to the norms you talked about at the beginning and um, like the having the, um, like the, the digital hero. Um, when a student sends a sad face to the teacher through mm. the chat, like what would you recommend? Like how quickly the teacher should come to the group? Should they just remove somebody from the group? Like how do you, like what would be your recommendation for how to handle that when that happens? Yeah, um, so I will do just about everything I can to make sure I don't remove a student from a session. I want students to feel welcome in my class. Um, however, I am, I do have my non-negotiables when it comes to the get safe. Um, and so, you know, if they need teacher help, um, one reason I use emojis is because it works uh, for our nonverbal or um, early literacy students. Uh, they can, you know, type a sad face and that's my cue. Go to that room right now. So if I see that, I move right into that room. I listen in. I see what they've been doing. Oftentimes, they don't even get an alert that I've popped into their room. So I get to hear a lot. Um, and then I can address the situation in kind of a better way than I would have done in the face-to-face -face classroom because the student can send me that private message. All right. I think... I think I got them all, or you answered them as you went. See the chat. Not seeing any more come in. Copy this again. Um, so for those of you who have been following along, I did drop into the chat um, a link to her website um, with all those amazing resources. And then I'm also just dropping in a link to the slides again for tonight in case you joined us late and you missed the clickable slides. Um, I think give everyone another minute if you have any questions that you feel like haven't been answered. Someone asked, um, yes, I am going to be at NCTM. Um, I'm on Sunday. All right, folks, it's been a pleasure. Uh, share what's been successful with others. Keep sharing it um, and go back to protocols, routines, and ask yourself what needs to be practiced again. You've got this. Not much is different than face-to-face. -face. It's just the modality. Um, so keep on with your pedagogy and keep pedagogy at the forefront. Oh, we do have a couple of people asking. I'm gonna go, well, I guess I'll leave it on there. People might wanna know. Um, the headset mic you're using. People are very interested in that. Oh, um, <laughs> which yeah, one so, you prefer? Uh, so I've gone through quite a few um, over the years. I will tell you the most important thing about a headset and mic is that it's got one of these little doohickeys that stick out. Um, that's going to make it unidirectional where you get my voice. You don't hear my kids playing Legos right behind me, and you don't hear the air conditioning and all that kind of stuff. Um, so make sure you get one of like those little snazzy doodads. Um, I have several hearing issues uh, that I deal with on a regular basis. And so I'm always looking for something that will block out background noise. And I just can focus in on um, the session right here. Um, so I think mine are 
I think they're Logitech Zoom. Um, but yeah, as long as it's got that, that mic there, you're in good shape. All right. Well, I want to thank you for coming and thank everyone else for joining us. Um, as a reminder, this link is going to become the recording in about 24 hours. 